Thank you for joining me today on Good News with Twanda Black, where we are discovering some of the most inspiring trials to triumph stories and empowerment moments. Call up a friend and let them know it's time for some good news. Hello and welcome to Good News. I'm Twanda Black, your host, where we talk with folks from all walks of life about their good news. Because ultimately, if our brothers and sisters are having good news, so are we. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this next guest, but I want you to listen. You might even want to take notes, all right? So here we go. Joining us today is Ramon Hervey II. He is an entertainment manager, brand consultant, public relations specialist. He wears a lot of hats, but he also has a company called uh, Hervey and Company. He's written a new book, which is an amazing book. It is The Fame Game, an insider's playbook uh, for earning your 14 minutes. And y'all know what we say about 15 minutes. It's 15 minutes of fame, right, Ramon? Yes, that saying was actually credited to Andy Warhol. It, uh, it, it came into the public sphere of public culture, uh, pop culture in 1968. Um, he's actually, he said half of the sentence and then a photographer that was with him said the other half. They said, yeah, you know, everyone wants to be famous. And Andy said, yeah, for 15 minutes. They were in a photo shoot at a museum wow. in Sweden. And I always, um, you know, that the saying and the meaning of it always resonated with me uh, when I got involved in the entertainment business. I basically assessed talent and artists that I was going to be involved with, not so much just as a, almost like a metaphor. Like, mm-hmm. what what is the ceiling to any artist? You know, what what is the level of, and in my book I say, you know, fame is not a destination. It's, it's an accolade. And it's a byproduct of success. So in analyzing 15 minutes, I really look at how successful can a person get. And then once they get there, how long can you sustain that success? And that's where, that's how I relate it from my role as a publicist, a manager, and and an entertainer. You know, you didn't start out doing that. And when you got into it, my God, um, you work with so many artists. The book is like a history book. I read and read and read, and I was like, oh my God, it's so much information. First of all, how long did it take you to write all the stories, to compile all of Because it's so much. Yeah, it took me um, three years, basically. From beginning, the first iteration of the book, I actually came up with it. Um, a friend challenged me to do something con- every hour uh, in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 uh, for three weeks. Mm. So that became my commitment to myself to try to really put together, I had been thinking about it, contemplating it, but it wasn't really moving forward. And I wasn't really sure what I was gonna write about, to be honest, I knew I didn't want to do a memoir. So I, that's where the, the first iteration in my outline came. And then I developed the treatment, and then I, you know, I went out to a publisher and an agent and all that, get a contract. And then the majority of the writing, I think, took um, once I really, once I had my deal, uh, at least a year and a half to two years. Wow. Yeah. 
tell about some of the artists. If I start naming, I know I'll forget some, but tell about some of the ones that you worked with closely and, and some of the ones that are in the book. It's phenomenal. Uh, as, as you know, I've been very, very blessed to have worked with uh, some really talented people, as you know, since you, you you know a little bit of my background. And, you know, a lot of, some of these people were also people that I was a fan of. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I knew them through their work. And then when I got a chance to work with them, it was, you know, it's even more uh, of a blessing, you know, uh, to be able to work with people that I knew something about and then learned more about them. But some of the, you know, I worked with... Uh, Jeez, I mean, I started off uh, in London. That's where I really got my first break. And probably the biggest artist that anyone would know is a group called the Bay City Rollers. They were really popular and uh, they were like a pop group. Everyone said they were going to be like the next Beatles. Um, they, they didn't pan out that way. In fact, they didn't even sing on their first record, you know, but uh, they had great producers. And at that time, you know, the industry was such that you could actually get away with producing a whole record and using session singers and then making them the face of the group. That's really how they became famous. Um, but then after London, I worked at Motown and uh, I got the chance to work with uh, people like Stevie Wonder and a little bit Marvin Gaye, um, Diana Ross, the Jackson Five, the Four Tops, all the disgruntled lead singers of the Temptations, uh, David Ruffin, Dennis Edwards, Bat Midler, Richard Pryor, yes. the BGs, uh, Hall and Oates, George Benson, Nally Cole, Woo-hoo. Astrid and Simpson, Vanessa Williams, Babyface, um, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, Quincy Jones, oh, uh, really big, uh, a supporter yeah. of mine, Andre Crouch, Don Cornelius, and Soul Train. Um, I've just been very lucky. I, I'm telling y'all, it's a history book. I mean, and and the details and the the backstory of everything was fascinating. But I love what you say. You you talk about you know this industry kind of being a crapshoot, and then in some of the stories you even say, "I regret that I fueled their flame for fame because some of them it didn't end well." You know, no, this, this whole thing, it didn't end well. Yeah, one of the stories that one of the artists I didn't mention, who was one of my most loyal artists, I mean, two, Andre Crouch, um, who I worked with for over 20 years, and then uh, Rick James. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Rick James is one of the most talented people that I've, you know, industry people, musicians, he could do everything. He, he played the guitar, he wrote, he produced, he arranged, he developed other groups. He really had a lot of talent, but he was very self-destructive. And the more famous he got, the more it uh, infringed on his ability to have any kind of normal life. He just was obsessed with being famous and fame can be addictive and it can make you, it can blur your vision in -hmm. terms of what you should be doing with your life. And I think Rick just made a lot of poor choices and ended up, you know, even when, when he made his comeback or was in the process of getting a chance for a comeback through Dave Chappelle, who yeah. put him in all of his skits, and, you know, when he had the skit show, he started to relive his past. Mm-hmm. And when he died, he had seven drugs in him, you know, and uh, he just couldn't, you know, he wanted back that, that sense of 
you know, of, of fame that he always, he just, he just reveled in it. And it just was, it, it ruined his life, I think. The funniest part about his story was the whole Prince beef and the concert where Prince had his bodyguard bring him in and sit him on the front row. Yeah. I laughed and laughed and laughed. Yeah, that was, was that, that's a classic. That's the best prank I have ever witnessed <laughs> in person. You know, and the funny thing is what, you know, the reason why that is such an unbelievable story is that Rick gave Prince his break. You know, it, if it wasn't for Rick put uh, Prince on his very first national tour after Prince and, you know, I'll tell you a little bit, you know, just quickly that he was on, he had been on a Rolling Stone tour. He mm -hmm. was supposed to do six dates on a Rolling Stone tour. After two shows, the audience had booed him on both places. Wow. And so the Rolling Stones didn't honor their agreement. They said, hey, we, you know, it's not working out, so you got to go. And because that didn't happen, there was a slot open. Rick hadn't picked someone to open for him. And his manager, a guy by the name of Chef Gordon, got Prince on the tour. So Rick had given, you know, Prince's break and there was no reason for them to get in a beat, but they did. And then it just got worse and worse. And then that was the, the you know, the oh. Tuesday moment where, I mean, he, that was when Prince, not only did he do that at that party, at that event, that was at the Universal Amphitheater, just as I chronicle in the book. But Prince was being carried, cradled like a baby by that big guard, uh, security guard everywhere. I also invited him to a party uh, to uh, for Bette Midler at the Spago's, which used to be a really famous celebrity mm -hmm. restaurant in, uh, on Sunset Boulevard. And he brought, I mean, this is a party where there's at least 30 other celebrities there, you know, and Prince comes in the party, cradled in this guy's arm, and literally sets him at his table. And Bette just like, she was like, what the? She just couldn't believe, like, you know, he would even go to this extreme. But that was, oh, you know, at that time, you know, he was going through that phase. Again, that's how he was dealing with his pain. Everybody right. has a different way of, you know, when they get to that point where they think they're famous, what what can they get away with? Or what is it that they, how does that fame fuel their existence and their lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. Um, you work with so many artists. Who was the most challenging for you? The most challenging. I mean, I think that everyone presented a different challenge. So I don't know if there's one artist that I would say. I mean, Rick was Rick was um, the most frustrating because I believed in his talent, but he was his own worst enemy. Yeah. And one of the things that he really wanted to do, and why he even hired me, is because he thought I could help him cross over. He, he didn't. He he enjoyed being supported by the black community, but he wanted to be bigger than that. Right. And he would, you know, one time I sent him a memo uh, where he had canceled 60 interviews on a tour, 60, and over uh, half of those were white media. Mm. And we used to get on, you know, conversations on the phone where it was MFU, MFS, <laughs> you know, back and forth. And I go, Rick, look, fire me then, because you know the reality is. I'm doing what you asked me to do. Yeah. You want to cross over, you need to get this media, and now you're you're canceling it. So decide what you want to do because you're ruining my reputation. You know, one of the biggest ones that he canceled was the CBS Nightly News, which, yeah. you know, you don't want to mess with the major networks, and that would have been a, a great caveat for him to have in his resume. Um, and so just, 
every time I, I, I tried to have more faith in him, he, he let me down some way, shape or another. And then I ended up having to be a mop trying to clean up the mess. Oh yeah. What, what I did notice was you, you were this, this manager, but you were really a cleanup person, a nurse, a doctor, a, a therapist. You were like all these different things. I was his publicist. I, hadn't, I wasn't managing anybody at the oh, time. Okay. I only was his, his publicist. For a while, he had a very talented manager who actually gave me my break as a manager. Mm -hmm. Shep Gordon, Shep managed uh, Alice Cooper, um, Ruth Vandross, Gina Benelli. Um, uh, he, he's been very, very successful in the business. And, and he had a falling out with Rick. And then Rick's brother, who's an attorney, was managing him for a while. But there was really, I don't think there was anyone capable of, Rick wouldn't listen, so it really doesn't matter. A lot of people think that it's, you know, well, his management should do this, or his publisher should yeah. do that. But sometimes it's, it's, it's we're, we're, we're yeah. at a, a loss, you know. We yeah. can't yeah. make a person do something that they don't want to do. Yeah, know? yeah. Who was the best artist that that said you're fired? But then it was so funny because so many said you're fired, and then they call you back when something else doesn't work out, and then you you have to you know it was like wow, and you went back. I was amazed by some of the some of the ones that you went back to. Yeah, you know, I think what you do first of all, it's very natural. Uh, I don't think that people realize how many times artists get rid of their people. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, I know people that have, uh, I know certain artists, they've had six or seven or eight managers, you know, and um, it just is one of the things where there's a lot of people in their ear, you know, all the time. Oh, and yeah. sometimes they're listening to other people and they're being influenced by that. Um, and they make decisions, you know, hastily, and sometimes they regret them. And you know, so in a couple of cases, you know, I uh, I go back because, you know, I think everything happens for a reason, and sometimes it's a matter of, of, of is it the right timing for me? Do I, you know, is there something worthwhile coming back for? You know, and so in a case like Babyface, he let me go, and when he let me go pointed because he didn't even tell me personally but then we we ended up working together again and we had another successful run um i you know andre crouch was a guy that um uh, i went back to as well um you know a lot of times i think people until they don't have you they don't really appreciate everything that you did for them. there you go <laughs> or, you know, the glass is greener on the other side yes you know, yeah i think with a lot of times uh, that's the case and even the time when i went back with uh with kenny um he he had a good manager i thought that the manager i watched you know i watched yeah. from afar you know and i thought he was doing a good job so i said well you can work with you again but i just i said i i think benny the guy's name is benny medina who's been you know, mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez is a manager for a long time, his brother, and I just, uh, you know, I said, hey, if you want me to, I, I'm, I'm willing to consider, but, you know, and he just said, he didn't never, he never explained the real reason why he left Benny, he just said we had a different, yeah. we were heading in the wrong direction, so, uh, you I know, and, what I thought was really interesting, and, and you do, a lot of people may not know that you were married to Vanessa Williams, a lot of people do, but when you do a search for Ramon Hervey II, what does it say? Ramon Hervey II, 
married to Vanessa Williams. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like an appendage to Vanessa yes, for the rest of my yes. life. You know? um, I'm so amazed by that. However, you do dedicate a chapter in the book to her, and it is, um, what does it say? Um, uh, about infamy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You a famous currency, infamy is a liability. Right. And, and I think a lot of people in her case, um, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead, finish your question. I'm sorry. But I was just saying that I remember that press conference when she had to stand up and say what she had to say. And I was young, but I said, they do it all the time. Why are they bothering her? But then we know why. But anyway, go ahead. No, that that is uh, that press conference was uh, one of the uh, craziest moments in my career. <laughs> It yeah. was uh, bedlam, you know, uh, just the, the whole, what a lot of the, the, the basis of that, uh, how I met Vanessa was really uh, after um, she had been asked to resign. Mm -hmm. And I had been in uh, her, uh, you know, she had like a consultant, a neighbor who was working with her at the time right. because she was the first black Miss America. And I knew she, you know, I knew of her. Um, you know, when any time a black person uh, breaks, you know, makes be something, that's right. For them, you know, so I saw it and I said, oh, that's great. You know, that's cute. She's cute. And, you know, I'm happy that mm -hmm. she broke a barrier that, that has, I never would imagine, you know, just like you don't think that, you know, Barack Obama, that there was ever going to be a that's black true. president in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's like one of those threshold moments. But I actually was brought in because the pageant gave her 72 hours I know. Um, to, re to respond. And I was the one who came up with the, that we're gonna do this response within that mm -hmm. 72, at the very end of that 72 hours. And we're gonna make one, we're gonna do a press, con press conference, but we're only gonna make a, an official statement. People are not gonna be able to ask you any questions. Exactly. You're gonna read this, you're gonna say this, and then you're gonna move on with your life. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the, in the very beginning of the 72 hours, I didn't even know, when I set up the press conference, I didn't know if she was going to fight to keep the crown or not. Because uh, the other thing that history has not recorded correctly is she was not forced to resign. She was requested to resign mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the pageant really didn't want to be, their whole gravy train is, the, is their television special. That's what drives that pageant, is their TV special. That's what that's where they get most of their sponsors and everything. And they didn't want to be engaged in a legal, in any kind of litigation that would prevent that that um, show from exist, you know, from going on as scheduled. And that's why they asked her to resign, but they didn't force her. It was really up to her to decide what she wanted to do. And at one time she was, you know, as we know now, she did decide to resign, but it, within the very beginning, the first day and a half that I had to work with her, she was not gonna resign. And the statement that I helped her prepare to, to represent her voice, it wasn't intended to be that way. So in the book, I explained how that changed. And, uh, but I'm very blessed to have met Vanessa. You know, we raised uh, three beautiful kids. I fell madly in love with her. Um, we, you know, had a, a lot of success together as a business uh, partners and uh, as parents. And, you know, we have uh, three beautiful kids. I'm a grandfather now. My little daughter has a, uh, a, a 
a little boy who's a ray of sunshine, total joy. He's going to be uh, one year old on December oh, nice. 28th. Yeah. And she's the one who's a singer. She's in a group called Lion Babe. That's Jillian. Jillian? Is that yeah. Jillian? Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, she gave me the gift of family and I'm forever indebted to her for that. What what was Vanessa's mother's problem with you? Was it the age thing? Why didn't she want you guys to make it? Um, I think initially I, you know, when I came in, I kind of helped set her on the on on the right direction. They were very very supportive, both her and her father. Um, but I don't. I think when when it when our relationship crossed over into a personal relationship. They weren't prepared for that. Uh, I was an outsider. Yeah. You know, outside of their sphere. I was from Hollywood. I was older. Um, and, you know, they thought she was going to win this multi million dollar um, lawsuit. And they had their own issues, even without me being involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was, you know, I, I always look at it as uh, it could have been anyone. Uh, I don't know. You know, I try to take not those take those things too personal. I'm not really dating the mother, you know. So <laughs> true, true. You know, and I didn't have to see her every day. So you know, it's just sort of, you know, when you at that age, even at my age, it was just sort of. I don't, I don't, I never wanted Vanessa to have to choose yeah. between me or her parents. And yeah, I tried yeah. to be supportive and then you know once we got married literally on the day we got married her mom she came around and yeah. came around and she's been one of my biggest uh you know so i'm glad that i didn't do anything to make matters worse i just yeah. stood my ground um, but at the same time i tried not to infuriate or blame our relationship i didn't want her to be a consistent adversary in my life and um and as it turned out that's we were able to move beyond our differences um, and she accepted me. She didn't really change uh, her, Helen is a unique woman. She didn't change, she just changed her way of looking at me. So I'm, I'm cool with her. We love each other, you know, and I tell her that and, and uh, she's been a really great grandmother to my kids. You know, in reading the book, um, what struck me about you almost from the beginning has been your maturity um you have a very you had a very wise way of looking at things and and handling situations because i mean you were in a bunch of situations that anybody else would have ran ran away screaming but you handled them and um it was almost like you were a fixer i say you were a fixer when i was reading some i said oh god he was a fixer um but you were very mature even from the early on with Richard Pryor, when you were going through so much with him and, and all the way up, where, where does that maturity, where did that maturity come from as a young person? Because I know wisdom comes with age. So where did that maturity come from in the beginning? You know, I've always just been an uh, independent thinker and uh, independent problem solver, mm -hmm. you know? So I think I, I've always been a student of the industry I studied, you know, I study, I read, I analyze everything. And that, the more knowledge that you have, the more prepared you are for when you need to use it. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, my approach and where maybe my sense of maturity or calmness was, was from having, uh, you know, being able to rely on my knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I always 
fell back on and and to try to just be a voice of reason. It's really, I never felt that it was my career with anybody, even Vanessa, you know, it was never our career. My job as a publicist or a manager is to try to create a fusion between the artist persona, the art form, and the commercial viability of that. And if those two things are running parallel together, then you have an opportunity to sustain success. And then when you have success, um, that's when you start to learn how to deal with fame. But, you know, I had some mentors along the way. Um, and I think the more the more crises you work with, you know, and the more you see how, I mean, also I've, I've witnessed, you know, in my t time, I've witnessed a lot of crises and I've always tried to put myself in, in the shoes of those people. Like, what would I do? Mm -hmm. Uh, in in that place and you know working at a company called like Rogers and Cowan where I got the opportunity they had some of the biggest stars in the business you know I worked with uh, some of the names you know I also got to work with Nick Nolte and James Kahn and all these famous people they all have setbacks you know and so you really learn you know everyone is different and every setback is different but at least you get a, 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 a sense of tolerance and how to you know everyone said well you're a fixture you're a spin doctor and really what it is is you're just you can't change the story but you can change how it's dealt with mm -hmm. by you know instructing and giving people ways in which to cope and to get over it. you know today it's even harder because social media is such yeah. a visceral it creates a visceral reaction mm -hmm. and it you know, the whole world can can see something and that's not what I had to deal with when I started. But now in three seconds or four seconds, the whole it's world- It's going around the world, right? That's yeah, all around the world. That's why what you see happen now in this whole concept of canceling people in, in our culture, you know, like what happened to Will Smith? You know, he, he made a poor choice on the one of the most watched programs in the world, <laughs> the Academy Awards. So that reaction to him is, is enormous. You know, that's like if, you know, if somebody did that same thing and on the Super Bowl or anything like that, the audience reach is amazing, it's just, yeah. it's crazy. It's you quick know, and it's curious. Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle or Kanye, all these people they, who are uh, being, you know, viewed or supported millions and millions of people and they're making poor choices that can be reported on and regurgitated over and over again for days in social media. And everyone uh, also has opinions now, you know, so companies, sponsors, that's why, you know, the flight, the Kanye flight uh, escape was all those sponsors didn't want to be involved at all. Mm -hmm. They don't want to risk their own brand, you know, down by one person um, who they're paying, you know, to perform and to to represent their company right. so you have all these entanglements that become much more convoluted and complicated to manage for someone mm -hmm. like me mm -hmm. when these things happen i can't spin uh, a slap that everyone has already seen right 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 <laughs> how know, do you spin like, that you, don't. you can only say why did i do it and and then walk on you know mm -hmm. i mean in this case I, I would have dealt with it differently. He's apologized and I know Will and I respect him. I don't respect what he did. I think he just made a poor choice. But I also think he, 
he and he and his handlers made a poor choice by not exiting the the, the Academy Awards and also by over apologizing. You only apologize once, mm -hmm. you know. And if you do it right, then you shouldn't have to do it again. Mm -hmm. Just go away. Let people reset and and give them something else to talk about. You know. Yeah. Which I know if, if you keep now. yourself in the forefront, they're going to keep remembering what you did. Exactly. The longer you fuel the story, the harder it is to bury. Yeah. So that's that's something I think in any crisis management, you, what can we do to, um, you know, put the flames out? That's really the, the real goal of people like myself. Is how do we shutter this and get it? And people, you know, people do want to forgive. I think there's a natural tendency to want to forgive, particularly when things are self-afflicted. If yeah. you murdered someone, fortunately, you know, um, Chris and I know him too. He didn't get hurt, but he he shouldn't have been. You know, he was attacked. You know, and luckily he didn't get hurt seriously. So I think people, when if you infringe on someone's life in some way or hurt them, then that's that's harder to walk away from or you know there was no legal no one he didn't get arrested mm -hmm. um, once you break the law um and you incriminate those those uh take longer those are wounds that are going to take longer yes. to heal or they may never heal yes yes you you give so many examples of that without social media back in your day of having to deal with crises and how you had to deal with them and and, and spend those so to speak so in today's environment, if you see an artist kind of going down that road, do you already think in your mind, I'm gonna have to create something to get them out of this? Or do you just wait for it to happen? Um, I think that you can, you can speak up if you see a pattern that's uh, disruptive and um, that you feel is not going to end well. Um, you know, I had conversations with Rick. Uh, I had conversations with, you know, uh, Al Jarreau. A lot of people, you know, Al Jarreau had a, a, you know, a, a drinking. I do uh, know that. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, you try to talk to them and just say, hey, you're so talented. You just try to get them to believe that they can exist without, you know. Right. And a lot of times with entertainers, what I think is a pattern is they feel as long as they can go on stage and do what they do, do their job mm -hmm. that it shouldn't matter what they do right off right. stage mm -hmm. and unfortunately that can work for a short period of time but eventually they will overlap That's and right. then you you cancel things you do you know that was one of you know the things with richard i mean he canceled so many things i just felt like that was my job i'm just like i know consideratory okay wait uh richard you're not you're not going to this so i gotta go fix this and i gotta and he will make it. you go he will make you go and tell the people he's not coming and then write a big check <laughs> that was yeah, amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah i had to i mean i had to lie to muhammad ali who was like he's like my favorite he's one of my heroines of my life i i uh, i'm just so feel so blessed to have been able to, to be in his presence and to work with him briefly on a couple of projects, you know, but to have to lie to him, I felt really bad that day. It really was a down time. You know, yeah. I just, I can't do this. You know, I'm not gonna, I can't afford to do this. Uh, and there's, there's times when you have to question 
and put um, boundaries on your own integrity, to preserve your own integrity. And I think that's what you're seeing happening today, again, where you see uh, a, a client that's on a, a crash course, a collision course, and he's not listening. Yeah. And you know, you see big agents, you see big publicists, you see managers saying, hey, I'm not going down with you. I'm out. Yeah, yeah I'm out. Yeah. And uh, so you, that's something that I don't think you saw. It didn't happen back in the day as often as it does happen now. But the liabilities are just too great. And they depending are. on what the infringement is, people just really don't want to be associated. Right, you know, right. Because that's your reputation. Yeah, yeah, that's your brand. The Me Too movement was a big, you know, a lot of guys, you know, mm -hmm. were buried because of that. And everybody wanted nothing to do with it. That's you know, right. So there, there are uh, consequences, you know, for uh, injustices. You know, not for all of them. We're still working on that. You know? But for some, there's some yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. But but they get canceled out in public opinion, in the world of public opinion, and yeah. that's where it counts because at the end of the day, it's going to hit them in the pockets. Yeah. 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 And it yeah. still becomes, you know, where where a. Uh, uh, we're a winning, our society is based on winning and mm -hmm. that in winning and currency, you know, money, the, those two things speak louder than anything else. Capitalism mm -hmm. is based on winning, not losing. And okay. so everything is about, you know, uh, winning and, but the, I think the thing is, is it's also when you, you know, you have to understand that flame is fleeting, you're not going to last and what, how do you, what do you do to drive and, and, uh, uh, propel your ambition, keep it alive when you know that you're not as relevant as you once were, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. being able to make those adjustments. Yeah. What are the adjustments that I need to sustain my success? Um, because fame, like I said, even if you, uh, there's a lot of successful people I've been around that are, have never really been famous. Not famous. They're, right? they're successful mm -hmm. and they make good mm -hmm. money. You know, mm -hmm. so fame is not the only way to, uh, to it, again, it is a reward. So you have to really cherish it and, and really decide, you know, I think a lot of people um, uh, don't, when they take that jump from anonymity to a path where they think they want to be famous, most there's no school where you can learn how to become mm -hmm. famous. And by the mm -hmm. time you become famous, it's too late. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. where most of these young kids, you know, because they, you know, they're also products of their own generation and what social media does. And they're not, a, you know, they're not cognizant of how quickly mm -hmm. their missteps can be reported mm -hmm. on and how mm -hmm. it can have a negative impact on their effort, you know, their careers and what they, what they hope they would they would accomplish. It's seriously a here today, you could be gone tomorrow kind yeah. of, kind yeah. of way right now. Yep. And so you're exactly right. There is no lessons, no books. Nobody's telling you how to behave and what to do and what and there's you can no, you know, and there's no guarantees. Doesn't matter how successful you are on on, uh, on social media. The reality is, is only one percent, less than one percent. I did some research. I don't know if you remember it, but I think I mentioned it in my introduction. Uh, uh, Samuel Arms, Arbsman, who is a mathematician, scientist, mm -hmm. and author, and he came up with this. Uh, formula to try to figure out how many famous people there are in the world and he did it through Wikipedia because you have to have a certain amount of acknowledgement even to get on Wikipedia um, and, he, and he divided it by the seven plus billion people in the world 
and he came up with the fact that 0.0068, that's the amount of famous people in the world today. Then if you look at social media, everybody thinks that you can become famous on social media, but only 1% of the people um, on social media have even more than a million followers or have made a million dollars. The majority of the most famous people on social media were famous before the platform exactly was created. Mm -hmm. And so they helped to fuel social media, like the exactly. people like Rock and, and uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Hart and people like mm -hmm. that. I mean, these guys were already big and they were using social media. Uh, they're making more will, money because of it. Right. Yeah. Right. But they're, they're, you can't, they give the illusion that that's po possible for everybody and, it, and it's not. Um, just, just great conversation. Look, y'all, y'all need to get the book. It is fascinating. When I tell you fascinating, um, the behind the scenes, uh, what what really happened? Because Ramon tells you what really happened. <laughs> um, it is just an awesome book. Talking about those fifteen minutes, and this is the the industry. This is the environment that we're in. Everybody wants that fifteen minutes of fame. The name of the book is The Fame Game, an insider's playbook for earning your 15 minutes. Ramon Hervey II is the author. And Ramon, tell everybody how they can reach out to you, where they can find you, where they can find the book. Well, um, one thing I just want to say, that one of my tenants at the very end of the book, there are some tenants. And the one thing I would say, and, and because you've been so uh, understanding of what I try to communicate, I, one of my strongest tenets is don't is don't obsess about being, being famous, famous. Obsess yeah. about being your best. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that whether you're in the entertainment business or not, that's applicable in any business that you're you're in. Um, there's all kinds of fame in terms of you know you could have local fame, you could have state fame, you can have community fame. Regional. But it's, it's really yeah. not. A, it's yeah. about doing the work. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but my book is uh, it's on Harper. It's uh, Amistad, uh, HarperCollins, Amistad is a black uh, primary for black authors. Print, yeah. Print, mm -hmm. yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's black owned originally, and then HarperCollins bought it. So I'm on that print, imprint, and it's distributed by HarperCollins. It's available in all digital formats, and hopefully in m most of major bookstores, uh, Barnes and Nobles, and, and smaller retailers across the country. It is a fantastic. And, uh, if you want to check out more about me, my website is www.herveyandcompany.com. You can get a little bit more background about. And there's a you know there's a highlight. Uh, I have a highlight about the book in there. And, uh, so that's how. Book is fabulous, y'all. Make sure you go pick it up, Ramon Harvey the second. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate. It. Enjoyed the conversation with you, Twina. Have a great day. Great evening. Uh, wasn't that a great conversation? To be a guest on the show, you can email me at twandablack at thepgnetwork.org or goodnews at thepgnetwork.org. Watch the show via PGN TV on all your digital streaming apps or visit us at pgntv.org. We'll see you next time for some good news, y'all. Be blessed.